So as I get to wrap up this series, um, Reset, with our last Sunday today, I, I thought maybe it would be a, just a good idea to kind of recap and, and go over really why we, we decided to do this series in the first place. Uh, the series started because we know how difficult this pandemic has been. That's an understatement. I get that. It's been so frustrating on so many levels for so many people, if not everybody. But we also thought maybe there's an opportunity. An opportunity looking at this whole thing and then looking as we try to, whatever it is, come out of the other side of this, maybe there's an opportunity that we want to capitalize on spiritually. Maybe an opportunity for us to kind of take spiritual stock of our lives, spiritual inventory of where we are, and reset. And we talked about things like resetting our relationship with God. Uh, maybe we've, I've heard some people talk about when we started doing this, when everything was on pause, when we weren't able to meet here, people watching online who maybe haven't heard God or been away from God for so long that they were once again connected. People maybe taking that spiritual inventory and reprioritizing God. Once again, that's great. It's been an opportunity for us to reset the way we look at others, loving one another, uh, people who are scared or are frustrated or at risk or are really hurting in need at this time, and an opportunity for us, God's people, to love them, regardless of who they are, no matter what it tastes, because that's what love does. It loves, does what's best. And, and a way for us to, to be the church that God wants us to be, to be known for the love that, that Jesus has for us, to reflect that to everybody else. What an opportunity. What a, what a chance for us to reset the way we look at others and help them generously. And, and so many things. It's like, it's like this whole thing has been kind of like a spiritual revival, if you will, that we've tried to, to kind of get moving on, a, a way for us to reset so many areas of our lives and realign, reprioritize our mission, our purpose with God's mission and purpose for us. And as great as it's been, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't like this little bit of concern, this nagging idea in my heart of what might happen post-COVID. What might happen post-corona? I'm not talking about like how the world's going to get along. I'm not talking about how the economy is going to bounce back. I'm not even really talking about you know, health, uh, spiritual health. With all this setting, with all these conversations that we've been doing, what, what's going to happen when a lot of these things that have been away from our lives come back? Take a moment and just think right now what, what we've been missing out on. All the things that we're so used to doing, especially this time of year. Major League Baseball. Cubs fan, Sox fan, or whatever fan you are, uh, can you remember the last time that the Cubs and the Sox were tied for first place? Or someone else told me uh, a couple weeks ago, tied for last place, you mean? <laughs> I guess it depends on your perspective. We're so, we're so used to that. Or, or maybe just even sports in general, or maybe in your family, the sports, the, 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 the schedules filled with practices, or, or summer leagues, or summer games that are gone. Maybe for some of you, it's just... Uh, being able to go out to the movies. When was the last time you did that? For some, it's maybe even just going out to a restaurant. You're still not sure. You're still playing it very safe. Can't blame you. 
and, and maybe it's the, the weekend getaways or the trips or the vacations that you were, had scheduled to do and now you're, you're missing out on it. You don't want to because you feel, well, nothing's open or things that are open are still restricted. Let's just wait. We're missing out on that. There's another distraction. Maybe the distraction is just as simple as like little play dates with the kids, little sleepovers that maybe, maybe certain families are saying, I'm not comfortable with that yet. All of these things, all of these good things, I'm not saying they're bad, they are great things that I, I do look forward to having back as well. But what might happen when they do come back? When all of these distractions potentially come back, do they have the potential to reset all the resetting that we've been doing? I've heard some people say, Pastor, I just can't wait till we go back. I just want to go back to pre-pandemic days. And I'm not even sure if we will go back in, some, in, in every aspect that we're talking about. But the question I want you to think about is, do you want to go back? And I'm not talking about like you know, all, those, all those things. Of course, we, we want some of those things. We want some of those freedoms. We want some of those things to enjoy it once again. But, but I mean spiritually. Do you want to go back? Was there a time, maybe even before this, when all of those things were great, but they were too great? They were, they were getting in the way. They were distracting you from the main thing. They were taking your focus off something else. Do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back to that spiritual life, that spiritual you? And going back was a big temptation that was on the hearts of these, uh, these Hebraic Christians that the writer to the Hebrews is, is talking to. They were under so much oppression and so much persecution since they had converted from, to Christianity away from Judaism. And what you need to understand about Judaism is it's not just a religion, but it's a way of life. It's a culture. It's a people. It's, it's, it's so much deeper than just a teaching. And so when these, these Hebrews converted to Christianity, the, their fellow Jews said, you're not just doing a religion conversion. You're, you're, you're turning your back on us. They took it personally. So so they were shunned. They were ostracized. They were the social outcasts. And and, and odd on top of that, the fact that this religion was still illegal to Roman standards, you see there was a ton of pressure put on this group of believers to conform. And like the big question in the whole book that people are asking is, is this worth it? My life since I've been a Christian has been more miserable than it ever has been. And the temptation, we should just go back. We should just go back to the way things were before when we didn't have so much suffering and pain. And chapter 12 is kind of like the the peak, the climactic encouragement for these Corinthians, or for these Hebrews. For these people, for, for these people of God, it's like the writer's way of saying, yes. It is so worth it. Trust me, you don't want to go back because if you see the prize that is right there in front of you, won for you, you will agree it is, it is so worth it. And so friends, if you don't want to go back, if spiritually, if, if you don't want to slide back, if you want to keep moving forward and keep growing in your faith, diving deeper with God, and capitalizing on this so that when everything does come back, you stay laser-focused and aligned with God's purpose for your life, then join with me as we take a look at these verses. Beginning at verse 1, the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, sometimes pastors get criticized for using too many sports analogies, too many, too many athletic metaphors, pastor, but you can't get mad at me for this one because this one's from God, inspired by him. So you can't get mad at me for using another sports metaphor, but I think it's so good. So he says, let's run the race that's marked out for us. And that Greek word, I love it, because it's the reason why I will never be a runner. That Greek word is where we get our English word agony from. Agony, yes, yes. If you're a runner, uh, you can tell me it's fine, it's fantastic. Oh, I love it. It's, no, it's agonizing. Okay, I don't care how you slice it. Running a race, if you've ever run a 5K, if you've ever done a marathon, if you, it is agonizing. It's horrible. It's painful. I will not do it. You can't convince me it is not agonizing. When, when you're in the middle of the race, sometimes you want to give up. If you've ever done it, if you've ever seen people run and the expression on their face is not, <laughs> it's, it's, ugh, it's agonizing. Their legs feel like jelly, like a wobbly ladder. And you just, you want to quit. It becomes kind of a mental game at a certain point. You want to quit because it's so hard. It's so frustrating. And he says that cheerful image is the picture of the Christian life. Aren't you so encouraged by coming to church today? (laughs) So with that image, though, that that is the reality, you see the load of encouragement, not just us, but these Hebrews especially, really needed. And so the first thing he says is some encouragement. He says, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now that can go right over our heads. If we don't understand what he's talking about, he's talking about everything he just said in the chapter before this. Chapter 11 is sometimes called the the Heroes of Faith section or or the Hall of Faith. And he's talking about all of these Old Testament figures like Noah and Abraham and his wife Sarah and, and Rahab and Moses. All of these people who at some point in time in their life faced overwhelming odds, faced awful, terrible circumstances that made them want to quit, made them want to go back, made them want to wave the white flag, made them want to say, this ain't worth it. And yet they overcame, the writer says, not by their grit, not by their stick to not by their might, but by faith. By faith. They're heroes of faith. It's the hall of faith. By faith is the constant echo that he's been saying that despite the overwhelming odds, they clung to God's promises, stuck with it, and overcame and won their race. And he says, so it's like as you're running this agonizing race, down the sidelines you see this cloud of witnesses, these people who've gone before you and they're cheering you on. They're saying, keep going, right? You can do it. You can do it. Hold that. Cling to God. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But keep running. Because it's so worth it. But he doesn't just give like some moral support for them or us. He gives some practical advice too. He says, next, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, if, if you're a runner, if you've ever run before, or if you've just seen it, you know what runners wear while they're running? They wear shorts. But not just any shorts. Short shorts. Like, really short shorts, right? Like, I remember the first time my guy friends were running cross-country, and they came by, and I said, 
yeah, another reason I'm not a runner right there. <laughs> okay, I am not, you're not going to catch me dead in those things. There's, I've told all services, this is too much white thigh here. You do not want to see that, okay? It's not happening. No. But of course, if you're a runner, you know it's not a fashion statement, right? It is practical. It is that runners realize what rim resistance and drag is. By the way, another person after the service told me, swimmers even shave their legs, right? Okay, another, yeah, right? There's, there's some images there, but it's so true, right? They understand drag. They understand wind resistance. They understand that if anything is like baggy or if you're wearing sweatpants, it's just going to make the race that much more difficult. It's going to slow you down. So what do runners do? What do racers do? Get rid of it. Anything that's slowing you down, anything that you get, throw it off. And that's what the writer is saying here. It says if anything is slowing you down, if anything is getting in the way of you and that prize, the finish line, the race that you're running, throw it off. If anything is taking your focus away from Jesus, away from the finish line, get rid of it. If anything is preventing you from progressing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, get rid of it. In other words, what he's saying is, reset your focus. Where are your eyes? On the prize or are you totally distracted? And I think that's something we especially need to hear and, and think about because we are in a day and age where we have never been more distracted. I don't know how they came to this, but scientists have said that the attention span of an average person is eight seconds now. You see the challenge I have preaching a sermon, right? Eight seconds. That's shorter than a goldfish. And it makes sense when you think of all the things that are constantly asking for your attention every day, right? We have, we have these devices, and look at this. Wouldn't you know, hey, I got some notifications here that, that, hey, they want my attention, right? It's the emails, it's the texts, it's the phone calls, it's the push notifications, it's the advertisements on TV and on every website. Click here. No, you need this. Click here. Scroll down. Oh, you should click here. All of this stuff that is asking for our attention, constantly distracting us, it's no wonder that attention deficit disorder has risen to new heights. And as real as that is, I wonder if we don't suffer from a spiritual ADD. Do you know what I'm talking about? This, this thing that says, you know, I, I, I have every intention, pastor, to take my faith seriously. Oh, we've really been meaning to get back to God and to church, but it's there's some parties and there's some company coming over and there's that retreat and that getaway and that vacation and those games going on and work is exhausting and I've, now I've got to work. I've got to catch up on these. And there's always something. Always something in this crazy world to distract us from connecting with, from going deeper with God. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, what is it for me? Was I, was I distracted before? Is there something that might come back and distract me in the future? What, what is, it? is it? Is it a sin? The writer says, throw off the sin that entangles. Is it a sin that's getting in the way? Is it like a, a grudge, a bitterness that you're holding on to? Maybe someone here, maybe someone here in this family or in your church or wherever it is that hurts you and they sinned against you. So now you're sinning back 
by not forgiving them and by using that as an excuse to stay away from God. Or maybe it's a, it's a terrible attitude. It's a, it's a lazy attitude. Maybe it's an attitude that says, shouldn't this be more enjoyable? Like I, uh, it's just kind of... Uh, that, that somehow God himself is meh. That I can say, hey, Jesus loves me, this I know, with no joy and excitement in my heart because well, it's, it's kind of boring. You know, shouldn't it be more about my enjoyment, my excitement? Really? Or, or maybe what's getting in the way is, is your schedule. You are just so busy. So many things. Got to run here. Got to run there. Got to do this. Got to do that. That the God of the cosmos... The one who, who made everything just by speaking, he can't even schedule an appointment with you. Is something out of whack there? Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's not necessarily like a bad thing in and of itself, like a sin in and of itself. Maybe it's a good thing. And anything that you deem to be good but it's taking so much time, it's taking so much energy, it's taking so much of your focus off of the main thing. We call those things idols, by the way. The writer says, get rid of it. Throw it off. Whether that means you you reprioritize it in your life or whether that means you cut it out of your life, get rid of it. And I think, as I I think of all the things that distract us, at any given time in our life, I, I think... Maybe the reason why we, we so easily lose focus is this. We forget the joy of Jesus. We forget it. Like we think of Jesus and we just think of, oh, it's a burden. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed... Really? That, that Jesus has taken a back seat to all the worldly joys. That we get so wrapped up in the agony and the struggle of this race that we call life. And so we, we look to worldly releases, worldly things to, to give us pleasure, to fill us up, to make us happy. To I got news for you, it's not working. We have never been more depressed as a people. We have never been on more medication for depression and anxiety. It's not working. And is it any wonder with, with all of this distraction that we are so distracted in our faith, we are so distracted in our purpose, in our mission, in our existence, and in where we find hope? And I think in some ways, maybe this pandemic, not, not counting out all of the pain and the deaths and everything that has been going on, but I think in some ways this pandemic has been a blessing for God's people because it's taken so many of those distractions and it's eliminated them. It's caused God's people to maybe wake up. And I have heard so many people here say, Pastor, I've never been more connected. I'm, I'm doing Bible studies I never did before. Not just one. I think one person has like three Bible studies that he's in. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's incredible. And, and when I hear that, like, I just want to throw out an amen. Yes! Awesome! I praise God for that. You have no idea the joy that really gives me as your spiritual life pastor. That is incredible. And yet I wonder... Will I hear those things in the days, in the weeks, in the months, maybe in the next year when these things come back? When these 
distractions come back into our lives, as good as they may be, will they take up so much of our time, so much of our focus that we go back and take our eyes off the prize. That's why I love the fact that the writer of the Hebrews, he doesn't just tell us, stay focused, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, but he tells us how. He doesn't just tell us how to run the race, he tells us why we can do this. And I love these verses. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's what he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think my favorite part, if I were to highlight something, it's right there, those first words. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because I think you're God. You have everything. You have the splendor and the glory of heaven. You have the communion of the Trinity, the love and approval of the Father. You have angels praising you as you sit on the throne. You have it all. And yet there was one thing that he couldn't live without. For the joy set before him, there was one thing that he said is worth agonizing and suffering on a cross for. One thing on the other side of that cross, in order to get it, he would have to go into suffering God's wrath and hell itself in order to get. And the one thing that Jesus said, it's worth it. The one thing that Jesus says, I'm, I'm, not gonna bl- I'm gonna go straight forward for this. The one thing that was a joy beyond all joys for Jesus that he thought it was enduring all of that for is you. You. He had to suffer God's wrath in your place. He had to suffer your hell. And yet he said, it's so worth it. He, he was so fixated. He was so focused on having you. He didn't blink. When he came to this world, to the people that he saw, his the people it gave him so much joy to get, reach out to when they were so much more interested in worldly things and worldly joys instead of repentance and heavenly treasures that last eternity. He did not lose heart. And when it got worse, when his race got really agonizing, when, when his closest friends abandoned him, betrayed him, and walked away from him, denying him, he didn't quit. He kept going even when it got harder. And when he's running his race and the sidelines are not filled with family and friends cheering him on, but instead jeers from his enemies, mocking him and shouting at him and and insulting him as he is carrying the literal weight of a literal cross on his shoulders that causes him to stop and fall down where someone else has to get it. He doesn't stay fall down. He gets up. And he doesn't quit. He keeps going. And when the whip's 
ripped apart his back, when the thorns cracked open the flesh on his head, when the nails pierced into his limbs, he did not come down from that cross. Why? Because there was a joy that he said, it is worth going to hell. Ten billion hells over and death and the grave and he came back out on the other side for you. You were his greatest joy. Do you get what that means? This life is his agonizing. But there is a paradise that is waiting for you that no earthly joy can compare. It's a joy beyond all measure. And it's not just a, a place. It's not just a paradise where we're going to be sipping on pina coladas over by the beach all the time. No, it's so much better than that. It, everything wrong is made right. There's a sinless existence. It's not just a place. It's a person. It's God himself that makes heaven so great. And he's there. And he's at the finish line. The author and perfecter. That means the one who started your faith, the one who completed your faith, the one who said on the cross, it is finished. Guess what? You don't have to do anything. You do not have to run your race in a certain way because I ran it for you. I give it to you. My record, here you go. It's yours. By faith, keep going. Stay laser focused. And if that joy is yours already, that he's renewing you now into the person he wants you to be, and, and then for eternity... Why would we ever focus on any other joy that doesn't even compare to that? How can we stay so focused? Here's how. Understand there is no joy greater than Jesus. There isn't. Nothing can fill you up. Nothing can do what Jesus has done. Nothing. There's a Scottish theologian named Thomas Chalmers, and I don't expect you to remember his name, but he said something I think is so profound. He says, the only way to break the hold a beautiful object has on a person's soul is to show it something even more beautiful. So two questions. Is there a beautiful object that has a hold of your soul? has grabbed your attention, that has grabbed your focus, that is pulling you away? Is there something? And second question, is Jesus more beautiful than that? Objectively, yeah, he is. But you've got to maybe start there and take your eyes back to the cross again and again and again and see the wonder, see, see everything that Jesus did for you and it'll melt your heart. I'm not a runner. I probably never will be. And I should have asked some runners before this, but I think if I, you were to ask them, why don't you quit? In the middle of your race, why don't you just give up? Why don't you? It's agonizing. I think the answer is, no matter, no matter how agonizing it is, no matter how slow their time may be, maybe they won't crush their personal record. The joy of that finish line is worth more than the rest or the respite or waving in the white flag or quitting. It's beyond all that. And friends, this life is agonizing. It's an agonizing race. It is. But you can run it with joy. 
And you can persevere because at the finish line, keep your eyes on the prize. And your joy is waiting for you. And the writer says, you keep your eyes focused on him. And no matter how hard this life gets, you will not grow weary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this life is hard. This life is difficult. And for some of us, this life seems to just keep dragging on. And yet, if we're honest, in terms of eternity, this life is a blink of an eye. How how silly it is for us to just get so distracted on things that will last for such a short time compared to what you have in store for us. We, We ask that you would turn our hearts. We ask that you would turn our focus so that it focuses back on you. You don't just tell us to, and you don't just model it, but, but you show us why. You were so laser-focused in on us, that we were your joy, that you, you gave up all that just to spend eternity with us. Help us not lose sight of that. Help us instead to go back to that again and again and again and realize that is the greatest thing. Help us to realign our focus so that we can enjoy the things of this world, but, but that we put them in their proper place behind you. Let us keep our eyes, let us keep everything fixated on you until we cross that finish line and see you face to face. What a joy and what a day that'll be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.